Hello and welcome to Loud and Clear, a podcast dedicated to amplifying the voices of women in music. I am your host, Olivia Adams. Today, we are continuing on with our music history series on the podcast, taking a closer look into the lives of influential women in music. If this is your first time joining us, this is a limited series that we are doing as a break from our regularly structured interviews. So if you head back into what is listed in Apple Podcasts as episode 45, I think it's something like 42 or 43 of the regular season, you can take a listen to the last seven episodes in this series. But today we are heading across the ocean and back in time to the 19th century in Paris, France, and learning about the life and music of Mel Bonis. Here we go. Melanie Helene Bonis was born on January 21st, 1858, to a lower-class Catholic family in Paris, France. Her parents gave her a strong Catholic education that influenced much of her music throughout her life. She was recognized as having strong musical skills from a very young age and could have very well been a prodigy, but unlike other musicians that we've covered in this series like Dana Suisse or Florence Price, her parents strongly discouraged her from pursuing music. And this in turn made her want it all the more. So she taught herself the piano. And finally, through the encouragement of a family friend who was a cornet player at the age of 12, they finally got her music lessons and she was able to pursue music with her parents' permission. When she was 18 years old, she began to take organ lessons with the well-known French organist César Franck and studied theory with Ernest Giraud. She was then admitted to the Paris Conservatoire in 1877 at the age of 19. So a bit of a background on the Conservatoire de Paris, which is also known as the Paris Conservatory. It was the premier place to study Western classical music in the 19th and 20th centuries. It was a college that was dedicated to dance and music and accepted and trained many acclaimed composers and performers in the 19th and 20th century. It was responsible for a large amount of musical output in France. So many new compositions because of the competitions that happened there came out of the Paris Conservatoire. The college was founded in 1795, and in 1946, the School of Theatre was then moved from the Conservatoire to become its own conservatoire, the National Superior uh, of Dramatic Arts. So scholar Kern Olleman writes for the Oxford Handbooks Online about the Paris Conservatoire and saying, I quote, founded to populate the new French Republic with bandsmen and theater artists theorized as a branch of public education, the Paris Conservatoire developed into and through the 19th century, effective leadership, committed teacher performers and capable students, an excellent physical location in historic quarter and a direct link between music composition and its performance all strengthened the institution. By the late 19th century, the name alone enabled the Conservatoire to prosper even as it became entrenched in its ways and prone to elitist behaviors and considerable unfairness. The appointment in 1905 of a director from the outside, Gabriel Faure, led the institution to address these problems and withstand the upheavals that occurred in the new century. For the Conservatoire had carved out for itself a secure 
place in the national patrimony, a heritage widely recognized as contributing to the fundamental strength of the nation. Since its establishment, the Paris Conservatoire has functioned as the gateway to the upper echelons of classical music in France. A premier prize from the Conservatoire launched careers in the best theaters and concert societies. The foremost instrumentalists rose to occupy simultaneously principal chairs at the Opera and Société de Concerts de Conservatoire, or the Paris Conservatory Orchestra, and a professorship at the school. Matriculation at the Conservatoire was so highly valued that families of gifted children would move to Paris and sometimes, like for example, César Franck's family, change citizens since admission required French nationality, end quote. And this is because non-French students were not allowed to enroll at the time, although that rule changed over the years of the Conservatoire to accept more international students. I think that at its height, it was something like 15% of students could be international. It was in a way the French government's way of enhancing this idea of a French sound and influence in arts and culture in Europe, which was very much a rejection of the German nationalist sound. So the French government wanted its own French sound and French culture and artistic society. And so that is how the Conservatoire was founded. So now that we've established what the Conservatoire is in a nutshell, let's go back to learning about Melbonis. So while at the Conservatoire, she won second prize in harmony and piano accompaniment in 1879, and in 1880, she won the first Harmony Prize, also releasing her first work that same year. So this is quite significant, as the prizes at the Conservatoire put you at the forefront of the musical culture in Paris, and it puts you really as a, a prominent member of the musical society. It, it puts you in front of new audiences. It was very highly sought after award. So while at the conservatory, uh, Mel fell in love with a journalist and a singer, Amadie Louis Hetic, who went by the pseudonyms Landely and also A. Hale. So the two musicians fell in love and Mel even set some of his poetry to music. Unfortunately, her parents were vehemently opposed to the match and opposed their proposed marital union and quickly married her off to Albert Domange in 1883, who was 25 years older than her, was previously widowed two times and had five sons. And the two of them, Mel and Domange, had three more children together. And so it was at this point that her parents forbid her from continuing her musical education. They pulled her out of the conservatory and she had to abandon that part of her life for the time being. Several years later, she reconnected with Amadie, and we'll, we'll talk about that later, and they had a child together, Madeline. And Madeline, because she had a child with a man that was not her husband, was given to a foster family until Mel's current husband died, and then her and Amadie brought uh, Madeline into their family. So it was a very fraught, complicated relationship. She very much rebelled against her parents' ideals. 
A little bit more about Mel the composer. So when Mel was 16 years old, she began to compose and her then piano and organ teacher, César Franck, encouraged her to compose and gave her feedback on her compositions. It was noted that when she played him her composition, he said, I had no idea sounds like that could come from a woman. Yes, perish the thought. So she was very much bumping up against the ideals of the time, even though France was a very liberal society, there was still a glass ceiling for women and this overarching philosophy that women could not compose, um, which was really steeped into the culture at the time. Anyway, at the conservatoire, she attended composition classes. She wrote music alongside her classmates, Claude Debussy and Gabrielle Pionnet, some names that you might recognize. And it was during her time at the conservatoire that she shortened her name from Melanie to Mel. She lived in a time and in a place that discouraged the compositions of women as it wasn't a feminine profession. And although women had done it for centuries before her, all around the world, she recognized that in order to get published or to be taken seriously, the public needed to think that she was a man. And so she shortened her name to Mel and Mel she stayed. So there was about a 10 year period starting around 1883 after she married uh, Albert de Mange in which she dedicated her life to raising her children and Albert's children um, and giving birth to children. So she put that part of her life on hold. And as we've seen with so many other composers, we talked about it in the life of Florence Price, where her most productive years were before she had children and uh, after her children were raised, right? And so there, she took this decade off and then she reconnected with Amadie and he was the one that encouraged her to compose and to reconnect with that part of her life. It was also written about her that she composed herself through her pregnancy with Madeline, her daughter. And her granddaughter wrote of her that, quote, she suffered a conflict between her natural feelings and her religious convictions during this time. It was a long and painful ordeal and a feeling of guilt sharpened her sensitivity and induced her creativity, end quote. So Mel composed very strongly in the 19th, 20th century French Impressionist era. She was contemporaries of Franck and Claude Debussy and a lot of other really famous French composers, and which she was herself, right? And so these were her colleagues, and she very much wrote in a style that emulated the French Impressionist culture at the time. She composed approximately 300 pieces of music, and she was a noted and prolific composer in Paris. Her music spans pedagogical pieces to choir, organ, chamber, piano and string quartets, orchestral works, Although she is most noted for her piano pieces, which totaled over 150 works, and music for solo vocalists and choirs. Again, her granddaughter, Gelio, writes, quote, from light pieces to mystical canticles, from pieces for children to concert works, the work of Melbonis is as varied as it is abundant. Post-romantic in style, it is characterized by a force of inspiration which nourishes a hypersensitive psyche, a mystical and passionate soul. 
It is music that plays harmonies and rhythms in an original and learned palette, end quote. And she notes that she would write these large projects aside smaller, easier works, more pedagogical works perhaps, and this allowed her to step in and out of the creative process. So if she felt overwhelmed with a project, she would switch over to her side project. And so she would often write these pieces like a pedagogical work or a easier piece for a younger singer, perhaps alongside her orchestral works. And she'd write them together. They would influence each other, but you know, they were for different audiences. In 1932, she lost her younger son and understandably she never recovered. So at that point, her health continued to decline and she passed away five years later. In 1974, her children wrote a memoir of her life from her journals that she left behind and published it as Souvenirs and Reflections. So just putting this out there, but that might be the worst, like my worst nightmare. So for anyone out there listening, don't publish your loved one's journals without their consent. Okay, glad we had that talk. Her works were widely known and distributed. She was performed in major Parisian halls, and she was a member of and secretary of the Society of Composers, which was unfortunately at the time a unique feat for a woman. They did not accept many women, but she was such an accomplished composer that uh, she had a, a big influence in that society. It's written about her that she was a, a modest composer in that she didn't want to promote her works because one, she was a woman. Her gender blocked her from advertising her music to the fullest extent, especially because she went by a pseudonym, right? So she relied on colleagues and friends to program her form and teach her works. And really her music had the biggest impact after she passed away. She spent the end of her life suffering from depression, but it was also during this time that she composed a lot of music. And her granddaughter again said that she composed with great energy, but was too weak to perform it. And near the end of her life, she wrote to her daughter and said, quote, my greatest sadness is to never hear my music, end quote. So there was a lot of music that she wrote at the end of her life that she never heard performed. It was also during this time of deep sadness that she wrote her mass. And the mass was only discovered after she had passed away. She writes that the music of the mass is, quote, imbued with the mystical desire to merge with the infinite sweetness of God and his pure love, end quote. Today is Giving Tuesday, and you can partner with the Saskatoon Symphony Orchestra and the work that they do to bring live music to the community through concerts, concert chats, and bringing music to schools and community organizations. Give the gift of music this holiday season by heading over to saskatoonsymphony.org donate. If you donate this season, your gift will go twice as far through the generous matching donation of Frank and Ellen Remy Foundation. Head over to saskatoonsymphony.org donate. And speaking of giving, the holiday season is just around the corner. I am a small business and every time someone makes a purchase from my website, I legitimately do a happy dance. If you have a musician in your life, head over to my store at oamusicstudios.ca and click on shop at the top of the page. It will take you to some of the great resources that I have created. Please go check out oamusicstudios.ca slash shop today to take care of your holiday shopping needs. Okay, back to our show.
I have loved for a long time the music of Mel Bunis. And I remember having a conversation with my teacher in my master's, and she said that Mel Bunis had always been her favorite composer because she loved French Impressionist music, and she loved that she could play it from a young age all the way up through her master's, and she loved how much music there was. And it wasn't until she was an adult that she found out that Mel Bunis was a woman. So anyway, I wanted to touch on some of my favorite of her pieces. One of my favorite sets, Femme de Legende, which is a set of seven solo piano pieces based around the lives of women who have become legendary. So a lot of them are based off of famous fictional women, but also some of them are based off of famous historical women. They were published as smaller sets when Bonis was alive, and then later on became the famous set of seven pieces. In fact, the, the very last piece, Ophelia, was published decades after Bonice's death, uh, when they found the manuscript in 1997 among her things, and it was only published in 1998. The seven legendary women are Melisande, which is inspired by uh, Metternich's Melisande, and it was written actually before Debussy's famous opera on her, Desdemona from Shakespeare's Atello, Ophelia from Hamlet, Viviane, the fairy of the lake from folklore. Phoebe, the sister of Phoebus, showing the sun and the moon. Salome, which was inspired by the biblical Salome, the daughter of Herod. And Omphele, the queen of Lydia from Greek mythology. Another beautiful piece is her La Cathedra Blessie, Opus 107, which shares many similarities with Claude Debussy's Sunken Cathedral Prelude, and this one really sits strongly within the French Impressionist style, and it really shows like the hallmark of Bonis's work. If you're a choir director in the public domain is Mel Bonis's uh, well-known setting of Panis Angelicus, which makes a beautiful tenor-soprano duet or a perfect two-part children's choir piece because it's meant for those higher voices. I have also done her forehand duets with my students. In 2020, during the pandemic, when we were doing collaborations online, four of my beginner piano students and I did a recording of the duets. We did two of the duets. Her arrangements are just so perfect for the early beginner who is just learning by rote and they can play along by playing. There are a couple that are just where they're just playing unisons or they're playing a repeating one bar simple melody. So if you are looking for a piece that you can throw into recital in a week with a little beginner, check out her set of six pieces for four hands. They're fantastic. Okay, and because I am a teacher, I always want to equip you with some resources that might help your teaching further or just further your own interests. So the best place to start is melbonis.com where you can find her granddaughter and her great-granddaughter's handiwork, including a book, a bibliography, and a biography, as well as an online shop with scores, books, recordings, a blog, 
concerts, and incredible video recordings centered around the music of Melbonese. So this website is available in English, French, and German, and was created and maintained by her granddaughter and great-granddaughter. How cool is that? Uh, another one is if you go to kids.kittle.co, which is a kids encyclopedia, you can find a page on Melbonese, her life, and some musical works to listen to. Just fair warning, there are some uncomfortable truths about her life and family that are on that website that might not be appropriate for all younger audiences. If you go to the Music Teachers National Association YouTube channel, Jeanne Rez has a lecture from the 2022 Virtual Collegiate Conference called Rediscovering Children's Music by Female Composers, Melbourneese, and her album Pour les Tout Petits. If you teach a class in music history, there is an award-winning film titled Women Composers a cinematic search for their lives in music by Tim Van Beveren, a filmmaker and pianist Kyra Stechway. The film is a documentary on Melbourneese, uh, Lily Boulanger, Amélie Meyer, and uh, Fanny Hensel. And I will be sure to have all of that linked in the show notes. If you are a theory instructor, I can't recommend enough the website expandingthemusictheorycanon.com. It is full of great resources for finding diverse music theory examples that are outside of your typical Western canonical textbooks. There are several examples that are useful for theory classes under uh, Melbonis, such as those for teaching modulation, secondary functions, what a period is in music, a passing tone, etc. This is also a great website to search by whatever concept you're teaching, and it will give you a selection of theory examples by composers who are often left out of the canon. When I am teaching my group theory classes, I rely heavily on this resource and I cannot recommend it enough. In addition, I highly recommend that you go and listen to this music by Amel Moniz. There is an excellent playlist of her music on Spotify. If you follow Compose Her, like H-E-R, there is an excellent playlist on Mel's music. And of course, that is linked in the show notes. So I think that is going to do it for this week's episode. I hope you learned a bit more about Mel Moniz and that you hit follow to that playlist that was so expertly curated by Compose Her and enjoy the music. If you could take 10 seconds and give this podcast a follow, a five-star rating or a written review, it really, really helps out the show. I know you may be tired of hearing me say it, but it really helps to bump us up the algorithm and get us in front of new audiences, which helps with the sustainability and longevity of the show and keeps it free and coming to your ears every week. This really is a labor of love. So if this show has meant anything to you this past year, or you have learned something new, do you mind sharing it with someone it really means a lot to me all right thanks so much for tuning in this week we will be back here next week with our second annual holiday giving guide for musicians my name is olivia adams this is loud and clear and you can find me at oa music studios on the interwebs bye for now